Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, moving through the Cleveland heat, dinosaurs eating cars, new skank that's reet and dissed by the Jesus of Cool. Got this in pocket. Got battle. I am gonna use it. Intention. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Hello, everybody. This is Tony Slagle, your humble host of This is Vinyl Tap. Tonight, we're, we're broadcasting from the Vinegaroon Saloon, deep in the heart of North Austin, Texas. I'm joined, as always, by... My host slash co-host, Doug Cooper. Hello. And our humble, humble, the humblest of producers, Jonathan J. Amro. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Tonight, we're going to take a deep dive into the debut album by The Pretenders, simply called The Pretenders. Epimonious, as they say. <laughs> so just to set the stage, this album was released in December of 79 on Sire Records. Uh, with the exception of one song, it was produced by a guy named Chris Thomas, who we'll talk about later. Um, the one song he didn't produce, we will also talk about a little later. Um, what are we going to talk about now, damn it? <laughs> well, I did want to say, uh, when this album was released, a This Is Vinyl Tap favorite held the top LP spot, number one spot in the U.S. Do we know what that was? In 79... Late 79. Uh, it was a favorite of ours? Well, that said... Off the wall by... Ho Hotel California was earlier than this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're on the right spot, though. Eagles Greatest Hits? No. Long Run? The Long Run! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I used to hurry a lot. What a terrible, terrible album. Well, yeah. So this album peaked at number nine on the U.S. Top 200 uh, in, uh, six months after it debuted. Um and it was, uh, I think it topped the charts in the UK. Yeah, I don't um, think it ever topped the charts in the United States. No. Why are you being negative? I oh, mean, that's just it, how I am. Just, uh, it's not all about us, J.M. The, I just uh, have to be truthful. The, the, the week that it uh, topped the charts, or it hit, the, the, it hit its peak in the U.S., just for context here, the other albums, uh, there were ten, uh, the other 10 LPs uh, that were in the top 10, were uh, by Pink Floyd, Eric Clapton, Bob Seger, Billy Joel, Van Halen, Christopher Cross, Ugh. Lips Incorporated, the Isley Brothers, and Boz Skag. What's the Isley Brothers album? The re I don't know, but the reason I bring it's that up... greatest hits or something. The reason I bring that up is because this album is nothing like any of those. Mm -mm. 
So it's 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 uh, unusual that it's in the top ten with all of those other albums. There's yeah. there's no album I know about that I think it is more exciting that it hit number one than this <laughs> debut album by by someone who thought that it was almost over for them, and the yeah. next thing they know, and I'm I'm sure it meant more to her that it was in England than it was in the United right. States. Yeah. yeah. Well, I won't. I won't. Yeah, we'll com- get into I won't that comment well. about the 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 taste in England versus the taste in the U.S. Because we <laughs> we've known we've heard you go on about that before. That's right. That's right. Um, this is a JM pick. Um, I think this is probably on the list of LPs that Doug would have gotten around to eventually. This may be another freebie on your on your part, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I go to you, our humble producer, Jam, to ask the question we always ask at the top of the episode. Why did you pick this album? I think you just hit on it. Um, there was a time, I think at this time in music, things were becoming, um, on radio, pop radio, they were becoming very staid. They were becoming um, very disco. I mean, disco was still kind of at entrenched. There was um ballads were still big um you know Barry Manilow Ann Murray all that kind of stuff and growing up where I did you that's what was played on the radio well there was this um and I've talked about this before there was a rate uh, a television station that came through cable called the USA and USA network and they had a um a nightly broadcast video music or video concert hall. And uh, they would sometimes do live music, live or just live concerts. And then they would just show some videos. And I remember one of the videos that came up was Brass and Pocket by The Pretenders. And I just fell in love with the song. And I just, I've never heard anything like this before. And, you know, Chrissy Hines, the, the lead singer of The Pretenders, she was in, all The Pretenders were in the video. But she was playing a waitress, but she had that dark eye makeup and uh, the guys that were in the band also looked like punks. I went, I think I like punk rock music. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, they weren't punk rock. I mean, but still, it was it was just like nothing I'd really heard before. Uh, And I just said, this is stuff I really like. And and the, the guitar sounded different than anything I'd heard before. Um, that's something I think we need to talk about throughout this. Yeah, we do need to talk about, about the guitarist. The guitarist. Yeah. Uh, I'm not worried one bit that we'll talk about the guitarist. <laughs> well, you know, the, you mentioned punk, and I, w- w- what I find interesting about this band is it's, um, without getting too much into the details, it's one American and a bunch of Brits. Yeah, three Brits. Coming out at... at, at kind of the tail end of the British punk movement, but sounding nothing like that and sounding significantly more like what was coming out of New York. Yeah. Well, well, you know, this is what is so curious. Chrissy Hines says that she was able to get through the punk door, meaning her limited ability with the guitar made it possible for her to get through. Yeah. And I don't think that's right. And... I'm going to compare them to the police. Well, they, they sound, the they sound a lot. Head, the too, the police this. were saying, oh, yeah, we're punk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're punk. punk. Yeah. And they had to bury enormous talent, which <laughs> didn't that. stay buried yeah. very long. And this is 
a little bit different because I think she really thought we're punk. Well, and this enormous talent, she's surprised by her guitar player right away. Yeah. Right. And then she surprises herself by having Hers. much more sophisticated music yeah. and having the crazy voice that can do amazing things. Yeah, right. yeah. And she, you know, one of the reasons she didn't like Brass and Pocket is because she's trying to be a tough punk rocker. Yeah. And then here comes Brass and Pocket, which is so, way outside of that. So vulnerable. And so. it's she's she's unaware of who she is and what she can do during yeah. this album. And I find it fascinating to listen to it after reading her biography. Yeah. yeah I, I just, just to piggyback on that though, Doug, I think one of the things, and one of the reasons why it sounds to me significantly more like the stuff coming out of the U S in terms of punk, uh, than the UK is this group of people very, very much like the band we talked about, uh, when we talked about Elvis Costello and the attractions, they come from a background by which they were not trying to get rid of what came before. They're mm -hmm. building on what came before. Right. And so that naturally leads to this stuff where you're taking everything that you came that came before you and building on. When you mentioned the police, this album, not just the attitude, but the the music reminds me of the police, reminds me of the cars, reminds me of Blondie. I yep. don't want to get into that debate about who's better, Deborah Harry or, or Chrissy Hine. You mean looking? No, just in general. Oh, oh, uh, oh I never thought is, about that. Which band is better, Blondie or the Pretenders? We did that before. We don't need to do that again. But um, I guess I, he feels like he lost, Jim. I don't feel like I lost. <laughs> but uh, but what I but I what's what's intriguing about this is that they take all of that stuff that came before and they they do something just slightly different and make it make it. I mean, because nobody sounds like the Pretenders, but the Pretenders sound like the Pretenders, right? Yeah. And well, I think was, one of the that things was a that's deep thought, wasn't it? <laughs> that was one of the things that people go mm, and keep on moving without stopping <laughs> to think about the fact that you just said nothing. Well, one of the, the, the thing that is, um, I think, comes through on this album is that I think Chrissy Hine was just surprising herself. Well, I she, absolutely agree with that. I, I, and I, it's so spontaneous. She was like, Are, "We can do that." And she we wrote can, this biography. As a woman, I guess she's in her 60s, right? Yeah. She still seems like she yeah. is unaware of her gift. <laughs> well, she I read an interview where somebody came up and uh and met her in the, sometime in the mid 2000s who was a fan, another another musician, I forget who it was, who was just talking about how much he loved her music and influenced her uh or how much she influenced him and he's and, and the guy who was with her in the interview said, you know, um, I think that surprised her because she doesn't have an idea of how much how important she is to so many people out there. Right. It's endearing. And uh, but I think it's genuine. I yeah. don't think it is. No, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Let me say something about the critics response to this album. All music, Blender, Mojo, Rolling Stones, Rolling Stone album guy, Spin, all gave it their highest mark. Five stars. Chicago Tribune gave it its highest mark, four stars. Uh, she didn't miss a single. She didn't even get a half star. Are they? I'm, I'm, I keep. I don't want to pretend like the others aren't making huge contributions. They they cleared it out of the park, and this is a debut album. Yeah. Well, we've had yeah. we've had some pretty powerful debut albums. We've talked about on this podcast. Have we ever had one that was well, that? But I'll also say this. Read the book 
these songs were not written over time. They came out really, I mean, she had been written, writing songs. I think the first time she ever really tried to write songs, and, and we'll get to this in the history, uh, it was about five or six years before this, her second trip back to, to London. And she started realizing that she could write songs, and she was a good songwriter, but she was always collaborating with someone, and you know, she, well, she's not a collaborator anymore. Her, well, her big thing at this point in her in her music career was she did not want to be out front. She wanted to be in a band. She's right. still that, that way. She's over that way. and over and she over She has again. a very hard time. I, I, not I, saw, I, a I saw a recent interview with her where she was still saying she always wanted to be a band. Yeah. She didn't want to do... Still, yeah, yeah. still. So, and then, you know, we ought to say the three of us all saw her. Uh, how long ago was that? I don't know. Eight years ago? Eight was it that long ago? ago? I can't that's believe the, how fast. Uh, this years Stubbs. are not worth a damn anymore. We were all at Stubbs Barbecue, which is hilarious because <laughs> I didn't eat before the show because I said, hell, we're going to a barbecue place, very famous venue in God Austin. God bless Chrissy Hines. So I walk in there. God bless her. <laughs> Shut up, you vegetarian. Some of us. <laughs> If we eat, you know, <laughs> you eat what my food eats, and it doesn't fill me up. <laughs> so we walk into a barbecue restaurant, and they've got like a barbecued zucchini, barbecued carrots, and I'm starving to death. And I think, oh, it's because of Chrissy Hine. Chrissy Hine. But she got on that stage, and she she talks about confidence a lot in her yeah. book. Yeah. Um, I guess she had to fake it at the beginning. Yeah. If she was faking at Stubbs, you couldn't. You couldn't know. She could looked like know. the boss of the universe. Not not trying to prove a thing to anybody. No, just everyone. She just had a natural ability to just kind of get those guys. She in seemed line. like 16 times the size of anybody else in the building. <laughs> no, and I don't mean heavy. And, um, yeah. Her presence was very powerful, and her voice uh, had was changed as, a bit. And to me, um, I'll probably say this about 58,000 times tonight, her voice is one of the most important parts she, of the pretender. In, in my opinion, and my wife gives me a hard time about not listening to a whole lot of female artists. There's other people who listen to our podcast that say the same thing. But uh, <laughs> hi out there, Vanessa. Anyway, uh, I... Uh, I have always thought Chrissy Hine has one of the greatest rock and roll voices ever. Her voice is remarkable. Let me inside you Into your room I've heard it's lined With the things you don't show Lay me beside you Down on the she comes from as normal of a background as anyone we've talked about, I think. Her her dad worked for the phone company. Her mom was a secretary. She's in Akron, Ohio. Just a typical uh, girl, proper tomboy, typical tomboy girl. And uh, she just falls in love with rock and roll and all kinds of rock and roll. But the one that really sticks out, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wills. Jump up! Get it! Throughout the biography, she can't stop talking about them. little word about the biography. It's called uh, Reckless. 
perfectly, perfectly named. named. <laughs> Absolutely perfectly named. Perfectly named. Reckless my life as a pretender. And I think that uh, has two meanings, maybe. But um, the reckless is perfectly clear. Uh, one of the things that she says at the beginning of the book, before chapter one, what's that called? The forward. Preface. Forward, yeah, preface. Forward. Um, is that she couldn't have written this book while her parents were alive. <laughs> And well, she could have, but she would have alienated she would have, yeah, her it, it, it would have been a cruel thing. She, to is, she doesn't have a bad thing to say about her parents. Either. No. And they, they were not like her, but they weren't bad people. And she has no enmity for them whatsoever. I feel like reading that book that I missed the book that came before it, where the bad thing that made her so reckless happened. Because by all accounts, she just this was something inside her yeah. DNA and uh, she, she uh, in interviews I've seen, she, she says that. It's, her brother okay. was the exact opposite of her, um, also a musician, a jazz saxophone player. Uh, anyway, um, she just got into rock and roll. Then she got into drugs. And then she got into wandering. And then she got into taking chances, big chances, yeah. scary chances. Yeah. And it was She's so... to be alive chances. I understand not, not making it making this writing this book when your parents are alive but she has kids and that's the part i don't understand <laughs> yeah how you can i'm sure they have very They're older kids now so. and they, yeah, think, they must have a very she, very open relationship and relationship, probably none of this was news to, yeah. to them yeah and and to her credit uh she took a deep dive into drugs and everything reckless and uh she she comes out swinging against cigarettes, alcohol, any kind of drug whatsoever. Now owns every decision. Every she decision made. she makes, she does not. Which hold is, back. she earns my respect for that. Yeah, well, she really a, does. And yeah. she's caught in she's caught hell from the uh, victim culture out there right now. <laughs> she has. Well, so uh, real quick, um, I just want to ask you guys a couple of questions about where she her town of birth. You guys know who else came from Akron, Ohio? Mark Mothersbaugh. Who the hell's that? He's the keyboardist for Devo. Devo is from Africa. Oh, that's right. She, oh, she talks about that in the book where uh, they went to, they were at, They were called Saturday Sunday Matinee, right, which is right. a horrible name for a band, but she was in a band with the keyboardist from Devo. David Allen Coe, also from Akron, Ohio, and musician of note, Jeffrey Dahmer from Akron, Ohio. That's nice. nice. Yeah, she brings that up in the book too. Doesn't she? she does say that she's uh, she kind of ride with a lot of uh, people who weren't Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, so Doug, uh, we talked when we were talking about Dave Mason. We mentioned Forrest Gump. Can we talk a little bit about how how similar the, that kind of idea fits in with it Chrissy is behind? Yeah, but we talk about Forrest Gump, meaning that Forrest Gump was present during all the significant events in the United States in. in in, in our history century, since his yeah. birth. Right. And uh, Chrissy Hine is like uh, Dave Mason was yeah. in that she's connected to everybody, but in a stranger way. In a way. stranger way, yeah. Dave Mason was, um, he was a member of a very significant band and then was right. connected. Connected to everybody. She is a teenage girl <laughs> right. connected to Ron Wood, David Bowie. And bumping Jackie it. Jackie Wilson. Yeah. Malcolm McLaren. Her first kiss at 14 is Jackie Wilson. She's maybe pulled the up on stage. only yeah. white girl in the audience and yeah. pulled up on stage to kiss Jackie Wilson. Yeah. Um, that probably wouldn't go over well nowadays. And 
Well, and then uh, didn't go over well. Then that that amazing story about Bowie is uh, yeah. <laughs> that, and That's that was uh, was that the Ziggy Stardust? That was that? She, yeah, it was yeah. during Ziggy. Letting yeah. Cle- go taking David Bowie to go eat in Cleveland. Yeah, and um, if <laughs> if she had not become a superstar herself, I think everybody in the world would say. Quit trying so hard. Yeah, no I one's going to believe this. Yeah. But, I mean, it'd be so easy for anyone to debunk yeah. it, and there's no reason for her to try to elevate yeah. herself. Cause she's, and what a, here, what a, here's probably my favorite story about her. She waited outside after the Kinks played and actually got to see Ray Davies, and uh, I think she had some sort of interaction with him as a teenager. And then, lo and behold... Who does she have her first kid with? I give up. Ray Davies. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> they marry. Yeah. How about uh, well? How about how about that she almost lost her virginity to Ronnie Wood? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, she see. It's funny because she talks about that how she and a friend are sitting there talking to Rod Stewart and Ron Wood. And it was only till late, later on she realized they wanted something a little bit more than just a chat. And then there's the uh, um, the uh, deal with the. Writing or working in the so- shop sex, which was uh, Malcolm McLaren's, Malcolm McLaren's yep. shop, and writing sex stories with Johnny Lydon, Johnny slash Johnny Rotten to make make ends meet. And both Johnny Rotten and uh, Sid Vicious both offered to marry her so that she could stay in England. Um, it, uh, she and wakes up in bed with Iggy Pop. I mean, it just. What about the two bands she was almost in? She was uh, <laughs> she was working with the band, and they decided they they wanted uh, to go a different direction, and that band turned out to be the Clash. She was working in another band, and same thing happened again. It turned out to be the Damned. Um, it's it's the most. It is more Forrest Gump than Forrest Gump. Yeah, it is. That's, and that's amazing. If she yeah. were just writing a book like A Groupie's Memories or something, yeah. you'd say, okay, nah, quit. nobody yeah, believes this. But it. there's absolutely no reason for her to lie about this because of her own fame. And she could be called out and easily. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, we only touched on a few of them. The, the yeah. ones that we're forgetting probably outnumber what we've said. Well, and another thing we haven't touched on is that she always wanted to be in a band, but she just never thought she was good enough, never thought she was uh, talented enough, but she was. She still had the drive to be in some sort of band, and it kind of took people to sort of push her to... Uh, to be to become a singer, she she so she started off as a singer, and she never thought she was a good, very good guitar player. Which I think she's a she. One of the things that I read about her that I absolutely love because I totally identify with that. She's fascinated with chords. She right. does it. She never understood why would you want to play one note on a guitar a guitar when you could play when you could well, play chords, and she just. Right, all of her songs are just so chock full of chords. Well, and when you say chords, you you mean that she's got augmented, uh, diminished, and yeah, yeah. I she's mean, just, she's doing all kinds of things. With, yeah, she's uh, just fascinated by how chord progressions worked. And she said, "I never really tried to learn other people's songs. What, what was the fun in that? She was just." constantly trying to come up with chord progression yet her first single is a cover of somebody else's song <laughs> yeah. um 
Well, and you forgot, you didn't mention one of another Forrest Gump moment. One of the guys who was pushing her along the way was Lenny, Lemmy Kilmister <laughs> yeah. from, from Motorhead. Motorhead. She was great I guess she friends was it, with was it she and, Was he in Motorhead then? Was in Motorhead then, okay. and they were really good friends. And she would go and boohoo on his shoulder, and he's like, "Listen, no one said this is easy. Suck it up." And she's like, "You know what? You're right." Yeah. He introduced her to her first drummer, and she's even yeah. said there'd be no pretenders if it hadn't been for Lemmy, which is a weird thought. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Weird well, thought. you know the uh, this is in a way opposite of the Bruce Spring- Springsteen's deal, because Bruce says he had no. I'm going to be a rock and roll star. Burn all the ships. Right. Um, right. Nothing else is going going to happen. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to do. Period. And she's just drifting around, bouncing around, going, "Hey, look, I'm drawing pictures. Hey, look, I'm doing this. <laughs> hey, look, I'm in France. Hey, look, I'm in England. Hey, look." The whole time, there's this burning interest in rock and roll, but it's not really me putting myself out there. It's more like working I love on the this guitar. rock and roll. I love rock and roll. I love listening to rock and roll. Well, yeah, she came at it initially from an academic, if you can call it that, standpoint. And yeah. She wrote yeah. music reviews for NME, New Music Express, which is a music rag in the UK. And yeah. she's she uh, derides herself in that. I mean, yeah. she says everything I was writing was crap, but everybody loved what well, she was her, writing. Well, she got her job because she wrote some scathing review of a Neil Diamond album, and the guy loved it so much. He's like, you're hired. <laughs> and, and, and she uh, later said, who did I think I was? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, she's... Um, of all the people we've talked about, we've talked about some people who seem genuinely humble, but she doesn't even seem like she wants to be humble or is trying well, to be humble. It just seems like she can't she, help I, it. I, th- I think the, the distinction with her is she starts off that way. A lot of the people we talked about kind of came around to being mm-hmm. humble later in life. But no. she seems like that was something that was always part of who she her makeup from the get go. Yeah. And I, I one of the things. She, I always thought that she came into vegetarianism and Buddhism later in life. No, no that was like teenager. She, teenager, yeah. She, and and you know, God bless her. I gotta yeah. talk, Tony. God, you're from Texas, man. You can't even talk that. One. <laughs> here's here's something I've been thinking about: is she has this enormous contradiction, and she thinks she's this hard punk, untalented rocker, and she's actually. Tremendously gifted at voicing lyrics right. and writing um, melodies. Yeah. And she thinks that she's this hard, tough girl. And she cries when she sees a cattle truck go by and, <laughs> and realizes there's cows in there. Yeah. She says that she hates this whole idea of sexy. But she has a hard time not being sexy. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, I thought, yeah, first time I saw her on stage, I was just... No, not. she she is, uh, yeah, she is that that uh, that person who's able to exude both sex appeal and confidence and swagger, hardness well, I mean, and softness at the same all time. All of those things add, and, and she's, she's trying to be this badass up there, and then she goes, oh. Such a drag, <laughs> and, you, and you're just you're just oh my god! I'm, the, yeah. the expressions of uh, uh, vulnerability that she can do with that voice are yeah. exceptional. Louder, louder, louder in the crowd. Everybody else. 
This this band recorded several songs without having a, a name. They played live without having a name. They're, they were contemplating one time calling themselves the Rhythm Method, which is a great name, but they thought it was too controversial. Uh, before their <laughs> parents wouldn't like it. Before their first single was out uh, was released, they were performing under a name called Dinosaur Eating Cars, which was what Nick Lowe, the producer of that single, said they sounded like. That's how he described their sound: dinosaurs eating cars, which is a great band name, if you ask yeah. me. And then uh, it's still available. <laughs> when they when they when she was releasing her fir- when they were releasing their first single, the label called them and said, "We need a name. We don't have a name. We're about to print this thing." And she remembered a story she told somebody a couple of nights before about her ex boyfriend who was a biker in in the UK, pulling her into this room and locking the door behind him because he didn't want the other guys in the bike club, I guess, or gang or whatever you want to call it, to hear him. And he leans over and whispers in her ear, "I want to play you my favorite song." Yes, I'm the great pretender Pretending that I'm doing well My need is such I pretend too much And it ends up being the great pretender by the platters And she's like, well, that's what we're going to call ourselves So there's there's this story I, And of course her humility left yeah. off the great The great <laughs> That's right. Um, speaking of great, the great, somebody I've mentioned earlier in a podcast that it's hard for me to talk about, not say the great, is the guy who produced their first single. Yep. That is the Jesus of Cool. That's right. Nick Lowe. The great Nick Lowe. The great Nick Lowe, who we've talked about in the last episode, the uh, Elvis Costello. I we've talked uh, about him a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. genius brought up his uh, band <laughs> rock pile at one period, <laughs> one point. You know who that genius was, Jim? I think, oh, I'm, I'm too humble to bring it up. <laughs> I'm going to be like Chrissy Hine and just be humble. You know, my fa- my one of my favorite things in the book, I think it's in the book, the way she describes him. Yeah. She says, uh, I love this. She says, uh, Nick was everything punk wasn't. He, did, yeah. <laughs> he didn't acknowledge punk. He had no time for angry. If that's not a perfect description of Nick Lowe, I don't know what. Well, he is. does seem like one of the most. Uh, that's a great. That's a great. He just does not seem like an angry guy one, at all. That's a great mantra. Yeah. No, no time, time for, for angry. angry. No time yeah. for angry. We ought to put out 40 minutes song? of us saying no time for angry <laughs> over and over again for people to meditate to. Um, but again, that that's. If, if you listen, she, she was a huge uh, Nick. Low fan. Well, she knew him. They were friends, I it, think. Yeah, and she had actually tried to go see uh, Bensley Swartz at a, or no, it was after Bensley Swartz, a band that, that he briefly played in after that. She she actually sought them out to go see him in, in London, and yeah. they, they, Nick Lowe had left by that time. She, But when she got back to uh, England, she would always try to find uh, where, Nick, where Nick Lowe was playing. And so she put the band together. They... Uh, decided they were going to do a single, a, a Kinks cover. Which stop I don't your think, sobbing. Stop your sobbing. Which I don't think the Kinks have ever they actually did recorded. The, I think it's their first record. They, there's a there's a recording of it out there. It is time for you to stop. I think it's the very first album yeah. of their and and it was and the, of kingdom. It was uh, 
and the B side was the weight. He did a ver- not the one that's on the album, not the but one a that's version, on the album, a version okay. of the weight. So she was a huge Niccolo fan, and it's just she gets a chance to be in the studio with a band, her new band, and Niccolo is tapped to be the producer. They do a cover of a Kink song, "Stop Your Sobbing," and Niccolo. And they release a, a single a long time before the album comes. Long out. time before the album comes out. And it it uh, hits number thirty four in the UK charts, right? And it's really good. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic, and it resembles nothing else on the album. <laughs> oh, that's not true. What does it resemble? I, uh, we'll get to that when we like, get real yeah, quick. Yeah, how did the band get put together? Martin Dale Chambers is from Hereford, and I think that's what connected them to these other dudes. Yeah, and Pete Farrenden was the probably the most experienced of them. He was the oldest. Besides, I think Chrissy Hine actually may have been the oldest member of the band. But well, and then this is a uh, this is the one she got involved with uh, in love <laughs> or post um, postmodern love. Postmodern, and that uh, that's that's an interesting story. I mean that that caused that had a calamitous effects on everybody and. Uh, hurt the band quite a bit if All you're right. thinking about starting a band out there ladies and gentlemen do not have relationships with other band members <laughs> well and, and unless you're sunny and share just real quick jam it's interesting when you mention her age because we've talked about this before she's 29 when this album comes out yeah and it's pretty uh, close to the end of her chance well it's like the, yeah. it's like blondie it's like uh right it's like the cars you know yeah youngest member of this band by far was james honeyman scott the guitar James's player guy. And he, and he was a honey man. <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, kind of a, not just a. Uh, his guitar playing is unbelievable. He was also the the keyboardist. She has just had a knack to just find good musicians to play with, and these guys were just um, very seasoned. And if you listen to this album. You can't. We were talking about it being a, a punk album, or she's trying to make it sound like a punk album. These guys are such phenomenal musicians. There's, it's just not power chords. It's it's it, just not like off the well, cuff solos. It, 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 James Honeyman Scott has this knack of finding these amazing riffs that they yeah. build these songs on top of in a way, almost in a way that we haven't really talked about with other guitarists before. Well, you, Chrissy Hines says, I was writing extraordinary melodies that I didn't know about until he started playing with yeah. me. He was able to make her much more musical yeah. and melodic than she had any idea she well, was. Well, Even in songs that he's "Quote unquote lost in," according to her and other members of the band. He he is his presence is so known. Yeah. Case in point, the um, tattooed love boys. Um, you know, he's according to the, according to folklore, he's lost when they're recording that song. But his contribution to that is so paramount to the sound of that song, including yeah. that solo at the end. But and in in her book, she just she she could have written a whole book about her debt and respect for for him and what he what he brought to the music yeah and he was also a stabilizing influence in the band because uh there was a lot of nutty stuff going on and uh, 
he he really wasn't having much of it. That's rock and yeah. roll, Doug. Again, right before we get into talking about the album, we talked about Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe does the first single and decides he doesn't want anything to do with the band anymore after he hears a couple other tunes. He didn't think they were going to go anywhere, according to him. A decision he regrets now. Yeah. But they end up getting a guy named Chris Thomas. Uh, he worked with the Beatles. That's where he kind of cut his teeth. He, he was kind of an understudy of, of George Martin, the producer. And yeah. I, during the... Uh, the Beatles, the White Album session. Ugh. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, George Martin just kind of hauled ass for a, a couple of weeks. Did you blame him? Yeah, couldn't blame him because everything was pretty tense in the studio. And he just said, okay, uh, engineer Chris Thomas, you take oh, over. We're going to have uh, Chris Thomas take over. I yeah. think it'll be marvelous. Huh? And I think Ringo was kind of out of the picture at this point, too. So a lot of the uh, stuff that was going on was just... Um, Paul McCartney and uh, George Harrison, and every now and then and John Lennon would tape loops. Bit of trivia: Do you know what instrument he played on Who's he? the White Album? Harpsichord. I don't even know who he is. Chris Thomas. Chris Thomas. He so played the harpsichord. Yeah, he on played Piggies. the harpsichord. Everybody what else he did he play? The uh, mellotron. He played the mellotron. <laughs> the I just wanted mellotron. to get the mellotron, yeah, the mellotron in. Comes back. All right, we this is to, this is when we start adding drinking. crap that we need to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the gr- drinking game needs to include the mellotron. <laughs> <laughs> he started. He got kind of uh, known as a a pretty good producer. He started working with uh, Procol Harum. Um, there's. He also worked on. Dark side. Dark side of, of the moon. He mixed it. Actually. He mixed it. So there. Yeah, yeah uh, a lot Dude. of. Kudos gets uh, Alan Parsons get a lot gets a lot of credit for that, but Chris Thomas he's kind of the most unsung hero of a, of a lot of albums, and he got kind of a reputation as being a synthesizer programmer. So he doing that, he worked with Roxy Music, he worked with uh, David Bowie, he, and then he uh, I guess his big thing was he uh, when he produced the Sex Pistols. Never mind the Bullocks. Never mind the Bullocks. And that was kind of his his uh, claim to fame. But, he also produced uh, or uh, produced Badfinger as well. Yeah, he was in excess, and Paul McCartney and Pete Townsend, Elton John. He's all over the place. Yeah, and so obviously they had some pretty high hopes for this album. Bringing in Chris Thomas. So, is everybody ready to start talking about the record? I think so. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so, we got uh, side one, track one, Precious. This is a pretty nifty opener, isn't it? I think it is a great opener for this band because it really does kind of um, establish the attitude that they're they're going for and their whole music. Oh, I, it, I I agree. It's definitely got attitude to spare. And uh, it, it really, you listen to Chrissy Hines' vocals and you're like, I've never heard vocals like this before. They're, it's like she's an actress reading lines that she's written and the if she can sing them but she can also speak them like she'll she knows when to sing something and when to actually speak them and i think that's what really what gives this song uh a, a lot of its character 
I, I think this song and the next song are the punkiest. Oh, man. Yeah. And she, I think she's trying real hard to be punk, and something inside of her keeps pulling her in a different direction. I, I think she keeps getting pulled away by something innate inside of her. This was the song that she, this was one of the first songs that she played for Nick Lowe to get the get him interested in producing the band. So this is an old song. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I believe that very Fair much. Of it. But here's the thing. I think How far it, is it away from uh, Brass and Pocket, I guess? It's, it's very far. That's, that's the thing far, about yeah. this album is this album's got kind of a little bit of everything. Um, most of the songs, though, that what they have in common is this, the, the attitude that you're talking about. The thing about this song is it sounds, and this is in hindsight, this is looking back years, decades over it, this sounds like a Pretender song. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Doesn't sound like anything else. Well, I never thought about a Pretender song sounding like a Pretender song. Well, you know what I mean. This is brand new stuff, and this kind of establishes what right. they're going to sound like, and it's and it's something that they've sort of maintained. Uh, yeah, throughout. exactly. I Thank think you, that, like, it's the attitude, it's, it establishes the attitude that's going to through almost all of their like you can, I, middle of the road um i think it's the i think it is the um i don't i don't disagree with that. i think it's very pretendersy but i think it's the the non-hit pretenders <laughs> that come out on this song and what was a hit were these melodic things that that popped out of her despite her best efforts yeah like talk of the town uh -huh. and, yeah <coughs> um so let's go to song number two the phone call The reason I made the guffaw when you said this, the, the Precious and this song are the most punky, is I feel like this is a bad place for this song. I think it could have come in, like it almost sounds like a continuation of the first song. I wish it had come it, in it, at a different it point. It just sounds yeah. to me, well, it, it has to me a different feel. That's why I was surprised when you said that, because it tends to me, it, it you get this breakneck speed of the first song, this energy of the first song, and then this song comes in, and it just sort of, in my head when I'm listening to the album, kind of slows things down a little bit in not a way that is pleasant to me. Right. I didn't notice it. Had they just put like, them together? Put them together. There I, was thought, a, I thought they were the same song. I, I, I think they, they changed, but I could, I think it could have been a smooth transition if that were a thing that they did. I, I, I feel like this, this, both the sides have the same issue on the second song, slowing down the momentum of what the first song puts into it. Well, another thing that, that happens on this song is that there's a little bit of a weird time signature that, that comes there's in on this. There's a bunch of weird time signatures. Yeah, this album's full of them. And yeah. she doesn't know she's doing it. She doesn't doing know it. she's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I think that's 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 where uh, Honeyman gets lost. Yeah. He gets a little uh, confused by some of these changes in some of these songs. Yeah. and I, But another thing that comes out, this isn't, we're talking about just like establishing who the pretenders are. This is her first time where she can't that I, I, I call it a yelp. She has this kind uh, of yelp. Oh, that's, that's a, that's a good point. And, and, and it comes through in some sort of ethereal way on this song. And it, it's, it's something that it continues through or most of the albums that uh, the pretenders make. 
All right, are we ready to go to the next song? The song that should have followed Precious, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I can see that. Of the of the first three, uh-huh. this one kicks the other two's butt. I agree with you. This is up the neck. Between my knees, under the bed of my teeth sunk into my own flesh. I said, baby, oh, sweetheart. It, it sounds uh, like I was what I was talking about earlier. It takes kind of stuff that came before it and builds upon it. It reminds me of the cars. It reminds me of the police. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't sound like them. There's just something that reminds me of those bands. Right. I think this almost could have been the first song because it... It, it should have been. It, I, I would say that. It, it, it highlights her voice so, so well. And it highlights the... Uh, that, that This is where um, I feel like I'm listening to... The mature group and and i'm thinking yeah okay whoa 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 how does somebody on their debut album who's been stumbling around trying to do something yeah have so much confidence in her weird voice and her weird expression yeah to do what she does on this album how does she know that she can do this with her voice exactly. without any kind of exp- she's she talks about she hasn't even heard herself recorded yet yeah. and then this comes out with this confident very original thing that she's doing with her voice yeah and uh if you've read her biography you know this story um unless i'm very badly mistaken this is when she's trying to get a ride home I think she's in Cleveland. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, she's picked up by a guy in a Volkswagen, and uh, they decide to go to his place. They do a bunch of drugs, and a bunch of uh, stuff happens that um, we don't talk about, ladies and gentlemen, on this podcast. Isn't that the next song? That's that song too. Historic this is a later days. story. Okay. When a man and a woman love each other. Uh, <laughs> The man shouldn't harm the woman, and uh, so it doesn't work out that way. In in this, it's I I, I I liked the song so much better before I read the book. Well, it's, I can't it, deal with violence against I, women. I know yeah. I wasn't going to bring up Blondie because I said I didn't want to make com- com- uh, comparisons. But when we talked about parallel lines, there are songs on that album where Deborah Harry turns something turns a great song and you said it i think on that podcast like i like that song better before i knew what it was about that the subject matter is just not something you 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 prefer to know not know about yeah, because the yeah. song's so great i i talk about chrissy hine as being an actress when she sings and she does seem like she is almost reading lines she's not talking about what actually happened she's like emoting it from like, somebody wrote it for her and she's being an actress for it but um i mean there's some good writing it's some very good writing i noticed his scent started to change somehow his face went yeah. berserk and the veins bulged on his brow i said baby oh sweetheart yeah. and this third time we've heard that line but this time it's it's plaintive it's uh, yeah she's asking for a little mercy for what's what's happening and then there's a thing that james honeyman scott 
does with his guitar that just he's playing it kind of straight and then after that third uh that third verse his guitar becomes it almost sounds off key it, it he's playing counter melodies that are in different keys it it and that's one of the things i think he does so so very well you cannot talk enough about how good this guy is on a guitar she's kind of downplaying everything that's going on she, and he i'm gonna not kind of <laughs> there's zero kind of yeah it's it's bizarre yeah i got out of the i got out in the hall with my teeth in my head and she's acting like it's like she was caught in a storm or uh, some natural phenomenon. It's not like another human being was doing this. She has, mm-hmm. she's, it's not, she does no animus for the, the person who's doing this. And she talks about, I think this guy was uh, trying to get his life together. And, yeah. and maybe, yeah. he, uh, maybe he had too much to drink or something. And it's just dismissive of. Right. And then you what, got J- James Honeyman Scott going, no, he's a. Yeah. <laughs> I know I haven't thought of that before, but I think that's right. All right. Speaking of uh, speaking of songs where the music uh, doesn't match the content, <laughs> that's uh, man. I tell you, what, I listen to this again today. I'm like, this is the mother of not matching. Yeah, this song sounds so upbeat. Have the exact opposite feeling about. It. I think it. When I hear that that opening, bum, bum, now bum. I will agree with you, JM. Towards the end, when the guitar solo I, kicks in, it's it's chaotic. But up until that point, I think the whole thing is chaotic. The 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 time signature is weird. The bass, the fact that the bass is pretty much cover. Um, but you can't ignore that James Honeyman Scott lick that is as happy. See, I don't think sounding. it's. I don't. I don't listen. To I it think it's like, ironic. Yeah. I think that's maybe that's how I look at it. Maybe that's how I hear it, but I I don't think of it. And she is too. His guitar is, I kind of happy, ironic, like ha ha ha, about something that's really ugly. And Uh, uh, that's an understatement. Really ugly. But then her words are the same. Her words are doing this. Oh, thank you. I didn't know that's what my (laughs) mouth was for. Yeah. But then when that it gets to the, I guess it's the chorus. Or no. Where that bass and the drums are just yeah. everything is so there's that no weird snare thing where yeah where the bass and drum kick in and there's like a weird stop really yeah kind of halty stop down, start down, down, down. yeah and then right prior to the crazy guitars the just oh, unbelievably the guitar part, crazy the, guitar solo it's one of my favorite guitar it's, solos and ever it's done. and it's not that complicated that's what's so great about it it's, well nothing that that guy plays is necessarily complicated but they're it's just. He's perfect. making it music. Perfect. It yeah. is perfect. No, that's that's Just perfect. That sounds like a very uh, like um, simple thing to say, Doug. But you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what this guy is. That's doing. the hardest thing in the world to do. You imagine Robert Fripp trying to figure out what to do on this song. So one of the things that I think that this band has going for it is. Uh, Pete Ferritin and James Honeyman Scott are just on the same page the the whole time and. He is a phenomenal bass player, and it, it's it, it, it's it's punk, but at the same time, it's um, 
you know, it's not James Jamerson, but he 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 never plays the same thing twice. But he is always in the pocket. And this song, know how much you love the pocket. I love band uh, bass players that stay in the pocket. Got a thing for the pocket. And he does not ever do anything that is just offensive or just makes you go, wait, oh, there's a bass. You mean while he's playing the bass? While he's playing. <laughs> <laughs> This and the next song, I think, are his crowning achievements as, as a bass player. This is this is such a fantastic song, but again, it's 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 uh, that thing where you're like, boy, I wish I didn't know what this song was about. Well, we didn't even yeah. say what it was about. That we, wanna, we're all Doug, you're probably the most uh, equipped to not be offensive. I don't think we need to talk about what. The, well, we don't need to get into details, but this is uh, true life event out of out of her autobiography. This is what made the news. This is what uh, got the feminist in an uproar she basically um was a playful young girl who decided to go back to some uh, house very inexperienced extremely inexperienced a young girl goes back to the house with a motorcycle gang and uh she has drugs they want the drugs uh she's looking for adventure and she's trying to bust outside of her um bourgeois home her comfort ends, level. Her comfort level, oh, yeah. Ends up in this uh, hideous situation with a lot of uh, bikers who, um, I guess they skipped Sunday school class. Um, they wish to take advantage of uh, young ladies, and uh, it's a hideous scene. And uh, I don't think I can get any more detail than no, that. Not but more uh, listen to the song, and you'll understand what it's about. That's it, kind of hard to miss. Her her dismissal of the event is is difficult. Uh, she she says it's her fault, and uh, I, I agree that she has some culpability. The but uh, there's a lot of guys in this story that should be in prison. No, right I think I think that I think what got her in trouble, if we just talk about that briefly, is it's one thing to take um, ownership of your. <sighs> of your situation, your personal situation. It's another thing, and I don't know if this was the case, but I think this is what people felt like, that she was applying that broadly to anybody in that situation. I don't think she was. No, I, she don't, was I never got that I think that she was saying, she I wasn't myself talking about in this any- situation. She wasn't saying what they did was okay, but I don't think she was talking about anyone else or, play, or saying the victim was the one who was at fault, other than she knew... She's taking she ownership it. She, of it. She, 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 it's, it's, it's the way I try to explain it is I take it out of the realm of sex and say, if I uh, walk down a a bad road with a bucket full of dollars and something bad happens to me because I'm walking around with a bunch of money in a bad neighborhood, the people who rob me are to blame, but... Uh, I'm culpable for making a very bad decision, and uh, you, I can be a hundred percent stupid, and they can be a hundred percent to blame. And I, I feel like that's what she is saying. Yeah, I think. But so. it's very complicated because she ends up dating one of the guys for a while, and uh, um, I just can't stand. I, I can't even listen to the song anymore and enjoy it because of my knowledge of what it's about and well, yeah. her flippant attitude towards it. Seriously. It's a great song, but yeah. it, I'm with Doug. It's a little difficult to enjoy it the way I used to enjoy it. <laughs> yep. Let's move on to song number five on this album, Space Invader. I will let you guys talk about this. This song leaves me absolutely cold.
if I were the producer of this album and I said, hey, why don't we make a song without any of the things that make this album interesting, just so we can show everybody the things that make this album interesting? I would put this song on it. There's no reason for this song to be on the album. It doesn't highlight her voice. It doesn't. Why doesn't it highlight her voice, Doug? Because <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's an instrumental. instrumental. Space Invader. Is and she didn't song. write it. And there's no reason. Yeah. Um, I think I, that, okay, I'm going to disagree with you because of everything you just said. I think it does <laughs> highlight the band so, so very well. And oh. it, I think that it, it, I don't think it does that. I don't either. I find this song oh, the, unbelievably boring. The way Martin Chambers does those, uh, that drum part where he doesn't play a snare forever, it's and and the, the the that great bass line that comes in, and then you just got James Honeyman Scott doing that just weird ass riff. When I was saying that I didn't know why it was on the album, I hope nobody thought that I didn't think Space Invaders was a really cool game because I played that. <laughs> I can still see the Seven Eleven where I used to spend hours but, playing that game. I love the way it descends into chaos at the end of it. And I, you mean when they little, get down to the bottom and you are you can't shoot fast enough? Well, that's one of the things they, they're talking about, Space Invaders. So at the very end of the song, I'm, it starts I'm going I'm a little uncomfortable with the fact that Doug and I are agreeing on this song <laughs> as much as we are. It makes me a little bit nervous. But you like playing Space Invaders, right? I love Space Invaders, right. a game. The song stinks. Anyway, this is one of the few... Uh, songs on a Pretenders albums that's not a cover that um, Chrissy Hines didn't write. Let's let's, uh, let's move let's on. Let's get to the a, hell away from that. Let's let's go on to the wings. Speaking of fun, this now is this, very different. This was the B side of the single that Nick Lowe produced uh, for "Stop yeah. Your Sobbing," and yeah. and you you need to listen. I mean, this is a great version, but you need to listen to the Nick Lowe version if you want to see what this album might have sounded like had he had had something to do with it. Uh, it's got that nice, happy kind of chugging guitar play, and and it, all those those muffled uh, harmonics of that. It's that, a great song. Oh, it's a fantastic song. I don't know. I, I uh, up up the neck and the weight on the first album. I think are the highlights. Well, and this is what I said. Things. The first album. I mean, the first side. First side. Her ability. It, it, it's another one that highlights her voice so very very well. Here we go to stop stop your sobbing. This is uh, the last song on the side one, I believe. It is, and God bless America. I love this song. <laughs> it is time for you to stop all of your It's, there's so many interesting things about this album. Number one, she's taking a song of her future husband and making it hers. Yeah, She's confiscating it from him and saying, well, thank you very much. And yeah. just 
nails it. And this is the Nick Lowe single. Yeah, this, he of, produced this. Yeah, and Not Nick all, Lowe is a hit guy. Yeah. And this is a hit. It is <laughs> a hit. Did you know a couple of interesting facts about this song? They didn't record the backing vocals when they were done, and they left the studio. So Nick Lowe got in and did them himself. So that's Nick Lowe singing the backing vocals. Really? But there's Chrissy singing behind Christy, too. Yeah, but that's Chrissy. That's Chrissy. Yeah. What did I say? Christy. And then um, I'm, so, I'm so close. And to then Jesus, uh, I can't help it. the part where where she does "Stop It, Stop It" at, in the chorus that was Elvis Costello's suggestion. He said they should do that. It would give the give the chorus a little bit more. Yeah. God. So there's a lot of there are a lot of Has hands. Elvis on this Costello song. ever produced a Pretenders album? He should. If he That's such it. a great idea. <laughs> this is a great song. It's a great cover. It is one of those covers that you hear it and this band makes it their own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> why did why do you marry some girl that takes your song and makes it <laughs> makes it better? Unless you have a bunch of other songs and she's hot. Um, yeah, this. It, I, I just there's so much interesting about this, especially the fact that she's singing a song unaware that she's singing her husband's song. Yeah, it's, there's so many interesting things about this, and, and who she idolized and met one day. Yeah, and and I I think it uh, sticks out like a sore thumb on this album, but uh, that, that's not a, that's See, not a negative I, thing. I, I no. don't think it does. That's because you're wrong. No, because I think this first song on the second side is JM and, JM and I were talking about have this, a very similar feel to that song. They're both, if I may say so, I hope somebody's got a shot glass in their hand. Power pop. They're both power pop songs. <laughs> yeah. Should we flip it? Yeah, the precursor to things that are coming on the second side. So let's. I, 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 th- I, think, I think the you're right. second side tells us what the pretenders are going to become. Right. So let's let's flip this album and get to the first song on the second side, Kid. Um, I mean, who could hate this song? How do you hate this well, song? You're a bad person. Can, can I just say, this is not the first, nor I guess will it be the last song that we talk about that's written about a prostitute. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, know, you got a fascination with prostitutes. No, the people we too. talk about do. I just think it's, again, interesting. This, this, uh, this was the second single. Uh, released. Yeah. We didn't mention that uh, Stop Your Sobbing was their first single. went to number 34. We did, uh, we did really. We did, we did mention that. Yeah. This was the second single that beat it by one notch. It hit number 33. Is that right? Yeah. This, God, I love, I, dear God, do I love this song. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a fantastic song. It sounds, it sounds like they're going to sound. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's not very good. That's exactly rock. what I got in my nose. It, it sounds like what's going to come from uh, the pretender. But, but the thing I love that she says about this song is she says uh, it's it's about a prostitute whose son finds out what she does for a living, and this is her having a conversation with him. And then she, there's a pause, and she says, not all my songs are autobiographical. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I think that Chrissy Hine has an ability to do is write songs that are beautiful but never really lose that rock element to them and this i think is a that makes sense that 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 has that that um that that break where it goes all my sorrow all my pain 
just a little break from the rest of the song that is the story of guitars all my sorrow all my pain all that stuff and it only lasts like 10 seconds in the song and then the well, rest of it goes back to that sweet 12 string guitar doing it, that it, you you you, hit, you said something that made me think about uh, just kind of in general what we've been talking about here, which is, you know, whether or not like we were talking about Tattooed Love Boys and knowing about it, is that a song we can listen to? I think maybe you hit the nail on the head, J.M., and that she, she, the band, and other bands we've talked about, again, Blondie being one of them, uh, are taking these kind of horrific events and turning them on their head and making something, yeah. as, as goofy as it sounds, making something beautiful out of them. In right, a way, right, right. Well, that's what this is. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's it's like Dega. But I mean, it's it's, it's a uh, great 12 string guitar stuff that's going on on that. It's just it's, absolutely it's, beautiful. It does not sound like a freshman album. No, it really doesn't. And I don't, I think that has a lot to do with the band she put together. I think the, those guys but understood. Uh, she's accidentally, it's, it's like all these great songwriters. It's, it's, uh, it's almost without their awareness that yeah. they're producing this stuff, right? And then they end up with these great bands. That's, I mean, that's a big, that's a big. Part yeah, it's of it. like a, the perfect one-two combination. Yeah. Let's move on to the second song on the second side, "Private Life." This is uh, this is another song that I think just stops the momentum. Of if what there is happened. a way, and you know what, I they perform the song live consistently, and I have absolutely no idea why. Well, I think it this has is to not do- a song you want to hear in concert. This is a song you want to hear when you're uh, maybe doing dishes or something. <laughs> Here, but it's one of those songs. I mean, this is it's, it's not, not so, a bad song. It's not. It's but not it's a, a bad song. There's no energy. Song. There's no movement. No it's, energy or movement. But it's it could not, be a hell of a lot shorter. It's not. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. That's what I was going to say. It's not surprising, though. I mean, at the time, this band, it's a British, British back band. She lived in the UK. You've got to put a reggae song on your album, right? You well, have to. Uh, yeah, but it, it's like I was listening like, to it today, and I was like, "Holy crap! This it's is like if Red Gay was into reggae. If, if Red Gay was really like this, nobody it, would be awake I, I in will Jamaica." Say, I will say one thing positive about this song. I will say one thing positive about it. I think the drumming on it is fantastic. Oh, I think everything it, on this, every all the playing <laughs> is fantastic, and that's one of the things I. I well, think let me put it the this way: the drumming's she, interesting as opposed to. The I think rest the reason why she wrote it was so that her band could just. Show what they can do. I mean, do you, the bass playing is interesting. The guitar playing is there's all kinds of guitar solos in it that have nothing to do with reggae, and then you've got drums that do sound reggae, but then they get to actually it, do rock. It gets yeah. a lot of radio play too. That's yeah, it does. An, well, or here's it an interesting did. thing about this song. Same year this album came out, Grace Jones released it yeah. on her album Warm Leatherette, and it hit number fifteen. I, I looked it up. There, there's an Surprising number of covers of this song. Yeah, this is yeah. this is a big well, it's, huge it's, hit for great fans. Um, it's a good song, but I'm with JM. It's it's too long, and I don't know if that's because I have an iPhone now, and 
My no, attention it's, spans no, it's, cut. So, so. I, I know you guys don't agree with me about um, anything. <laughs> well, the, the, no, the, about about the phone call. But I feel the same way about this song. Is it takes the momentum out of this first of the first song? Well, the, the phone call's song. not as long. Well, no, no, no. I, I agree mean, with I you mean, that it takes the momentum out. How could anyone think I didn't agree with that? This no. is a, a momentum sucker. It is. I think it's a I momentum propose. sucker too. That's the problem. I think both sides have start off strong, and then the second song screeches to a halt. Yeah, I, I, this is not a bad song. It's just she could it's have too long. So the the connection between punk and uh, reggae reggae has always been interesting to me. Well, yeah. really on the UK side of things, it's like it's faux <laughs> reggae. I think that's the thing that I don't like about this song. It's like it, it's well, I, I, how much of it. I never I never thought of it as reggae until I didn't think I about started it as- reading. Uh, what people said about it. I didn't think and, of it as reggae until I listened to it this week. I went, this is it's a reggae try- song. I mean, they're trying to do reggae. That, yeah. yeah, I mean that's what was. I mean that's what the punk kids were all into trying to copy yeah. reggae. Well, and then they went and made music sound nothing like it. But well, I, I mean, it, it was it was it, it's it's hard to underestimate the amount of influence reggae had on I the know. punk scene in the UK. Well, well I think what's that led- movie that uh, the harder they fall. That was like some enormous yeah. uh, influential movie. I finally watched it. And I... C- case in point, Lee Scratch Perry died this week. He's a, yeah. a dub slash reggae pioneer. And yeah. all, every UK band I listen to from this it's period, doing the... they're just influenced by the guy in one way or another. All right. Well, let's move on to the third the song hit. on this album. Yeah, the, which is a very nice reprieve after this is... Is a monster hit. And it's in absolutely it's in the wrong place. And Chrissy Hine did not like this. Song. She did not like. She didn't even want it out. And everybody else so, forced her to do it. Song we're talking about is Brass in Pocket. third single released off this album it hit number one in the uk and number 14 in the u.s speaking of reggae and this brass and pocket is a reggae reggae, reggae, reggae uh, saying comment this is the song that introduced me to this band and america yeah and america i had never heard anything like it i love the way the guitars came in and i i, I like I was saying, like this if this is punk rock, I like it. Well I like this. The amazing thing about this is we've been going on and on and on about what a singer she is and she hated her voice on this song. Hated it. <sighs> she really? is so, so stupid. Stupid for not, like that's so her voice is perfect. It's 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 so original. Even and the, so at expressive. the end of it and, and even the video that they do for it is exactly what this she hated the video too. I know the yeah. song is per the, the video is perfect for this. It's amazing she ever was as successful as she was because I feel like she had absolutely no idea what was so appealing about her and her band. So this song, uh, interestingly enough, this uh, 
when this uh, song hit number one in the UK, it was right at the turn of the decade. So this was the very first number one single in the UK in the 80s. Just a little <laughs> tidbit. So it was actually released in the United States, but in the early, like January 2nd or something. So that's why it's an album from the 80s in the US. Yeah, it's, it was released in 79 in the UK. Um, and I think this was, I think this video, just to throw another little dumb little bit of trivia, I think this video was one of the uh, first videos played on MTV as well. I actually remember going to the record store trying to find uh, the Pretenders album and could not can, find can you imagine it in San Angelo, Texas. Hating this song and having to walk around everywhere and hearing it come out of car radios and apartments <laughs> and everything. You're like, God, I hate this. I mean, it's number one in the place she lived and she despised it. I, I, I think she eventually discovered a some of the charm of it. Well, you, I think you got to. You got to think, uh, you know, the same way Nick Lowe did when he said, I didn't think these guys were going to be anything. You got to, at some point, she's got to say, I, I was a little wrong about this. Yeah, I think that a and, lot and of... And I thought it was her producer and the band said, no, no, no. I think that's where Chris Thomas probably has to get some props right yeah. now. Because, you know, Chris Thomas, Sex Pistols, Beatles, Pink Floyd, Roxy Music. Hey, I'm working with these people now you gotta listen to you the gotta, guy you gotta, <laughs> that guy yep. well, yeah, well, it's it's impossible not to appreciate it's, that. Isn't it this song and it doesn't it sounds completely timeless i think yeah it does it, oh that's a good point jam it that does is sound a, timeless. That, that could come out tomorrow and it would be yep yeah Yep. Nobody would listen to it because people have such bad music. Well, you have to have to sing about butts now. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, we got song called "Lovers of Today." I tried to talk to my baby. I said no, 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 baby, please don't. So, uh, I'm hoping she didn't feel the same way about her voice on this song as she did about Brass and Pocket, because her voice sounds incredible on this song. This, this is my favorite of her voice. This is my favorite. Uh, I, I can hear, I can see that. It sounds, it's remarkable, and, and the song showcases it in a way that none of the other songs do. I think that this also showcases James Honeyman Scott. I'm going to just keep talking about him. I, I, his I think Jam likes playing, the Honeyman. His guitar playing on this is just uh, heartbreaking. It's, um, I don't, the guy had a million ideas in his head. Um, and it's, it's very sad that he died. Very um, young. Very, 25 years old. Um, and what did he die of? Uh, heroin? And, what did I say? Uh, cocaine intolerance. Cocaine intolerance for his heart. Like yeah. a, uh, his heart couldn't handle the uh, the cocaine. Yeah. But the first two Pretenders albums, you can he, his he's all over it. His stamp is all over it. You could just tell that Chrissy Hine was just very much playing off that. I mean, she took a pretty big hiatus after that. Not like she got some slouches after that 
on guitar. She got Robbie McIntosh and. Well, he's uh, he's a huge influence. One of my favorite guitarists is Johnny Marr. Yeah, and Johnny, uh, there's if you guys look up uh, James Honeyman Scott, on uh, if you're a guitar player, just see the accolades that he gets from other punk guitar players, other just new wave guitar players. He's he's. Which is, I you understand what guitars are supposed to do. They're yeah. they're not supposed to show off guitars. They're supposed to enhance the tune. Right. And, and and in his case, he does more than that. He takes uh, the song written by somebody and... Understands the emotion. Presents to the author of the song their song, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was unaware of the melodic uh, nature of her music until he presented it to her. And also and the And she's anger. pretty clear about that. And the and the the emotion and the anger that that that's there. Hit she me. may have been aware of that part of it. Yeah, but he's like, okay, but you're, he can, you're angry. He like, I'm gonna it. I'm gonna plug into that. It, it the thing that I love about this album is it is complex, and I think Chrissy Hind is a very complex person, and I think that you know James Honeyman Scott recognized that. He he brought something. I. I really don't think he or Chrissy Hines were aware of what they were bringing in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the closer of this album is Mystery Achievement. about this one well i'm a bass player so i love this song it's a I think it's a fine way to close the side it's a very very <laughs> fine way to close the album and it's another one that says hey we're here this is what we're going to sound like in the future um but we have no idea we're about to be number one <laughs> <laughs> and it's got uh key changes it's got um and and let me ask you, Jam, because you're the best musician that's talking tonight. Do are you? Do you think she's aware of what she's doing? Nope. Or, I, I, I don't think that's, she that's has what any I think. idea. I, I think, think she I think she idea. was told after the fact. Hey, do you know you changed keys there? Did you know yeah. you changed signatures there? More important than anything. More important than her crazy. Uh, changes her her chord progressions more important than her melodies is the expression of that voice mm-hmm. and back in the chain gang or even more so uh talk of the town like the talk of the town Nobody can do that with their voice. And here we are on the first album, and she comes out like, oh, yeah. It sounds like the fifth album. I know. Well, and, and, and that goes for the guitar playing, too. I mean, everything. It sounds like the fifth album. Nothing yeah. about this sounds like a... Well, there's a few things that sound like a debut album, but not much. Well, guys, that's we've wrapped up another one. Another fine album to talk about. Something like 42, I think. We have uh, we have agreed and disagreed. We've cried. We've laughed. We've, Everyone uh, likes this album. 
All we don't right, so, we don't have too many albums where everybody so just gonna, absolutely digs it. So we're going to talk about our scores. As uh, just a reminder, we do two scores on every album. We do uh, a score that is what if we were a critic, critically looking at it, trying to remove ourselves from the album, and then one if we would listen to it again. How how what's the likelihood? The likelihood, and it's a score of one to five. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with you first, Doug. What do you give it cri- for critically? Uh, critically, I'll give it four nine. And the only reason I'm not saying five is because I'm trying to be hard to get. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know where this came from, uh, but it's absolutely fantastic. So four nine. And would you listen to it again? <laughs> <laughs> would you be able to keep me from listening to it again? That's the question. Uh, I will listen to it again as soon as I find the record. I know it. And your score is? Uh, 49.5. All right. We'll say five. Jam, what do you give this album critically? Critically, I give it a five. And listening to it again? Uh, five. <laughs> it's, it's in my regular rotation. You can't quit I guess, I guess I'm, I'm the outlier here uh, because I've talked about a couple of things that just take me out of the album in terms of sequencing songs I'm not that, that big of a fan of. Overall, I, I like this album a lot. I think I would give it a 4.1. And then listening to it again, because there are songs on here I would listen to again. There are also songs I will skip. Ooh, a violation. A violation. I would give it a 4.3. Private Life has to be the only one, dude. See, even I don't like Private Life, but I never skip through it. 4.3 is not a bad score. (laughs) I don't know. I... We'll ask Jesus when we're all dead. <laughs> well, according to you, with my 4.3, I might not make it. <laughs> so, Tony, do you have something for the kids tonight? <laughs> Why, yes, Tony, I do have something for the kids tonight. Uh, much like I did with the Los Lobos album, I am going to recommend the most recent Pretenders album that came out in 2020. It's a pandemic album, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's called Hate for Sale. It's released in July of 2020. And it's pretty darn good. Um, it is. Uh, it, it charted. You know, <laughs> what can I say? It charted in the UK and failed to make a blip in the US. Again, oh, just yeah. reinforcing my thoughts about U- US fans of music. But, sorry, sorry, you hate America. Well, music fans, I might. Uh, th- this is a, this is a good album. This is this is again one of these bands that I think. Uh, you know, surprises people who haven't listened to it a while that a they're still making music and b they're still making quality music. Yeah. Uh, the the buzz is a great song, as is Turf Accountant Daddy. Um, I didn't know when to stop. I mean, the the amazing thing is this was released, like I said, a year ago in 2020, and Chrissy Hine can still belt it out with the best of her. Her voice sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's eating those vegetables, keeps your voice in Mark, shape. Martin Chambers is playing drums on it. He's, of course, she and he are the only people that were on the album we were talking about tonight. The rest of the band is it's alive. Dead. Well, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I recommend it. I recommend picking it up. For those of you who are, have not been inclined to pick up a recent Pretenders album, I think this is a good go-to. Thank you very much, Tony. You're welcome. Well, that's it for tonight's show. Thanks very much for hanging out with us on this episode. Next week, we'll be looking at an album by Rod Stewart. 
every picture tells a story. We're on Spotify. We're also on many of your favorite podcasting platforms. And we're on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook. So for my host, Doug Cooper, the co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Final Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11, reminding you, don't mess with tattooed love boys.